0: And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Greetings, world, and welcome to the Mind Body Musings Podcast. This is your host, Madeline Victoria Moon, bringing you episode 299 of this show this show that is all about the divine feminine and masculine, or one could say alpha and omega, feeling your sacred feels, being embodied, moving your body, sexuality, spirituality, all of these yummy things. And today we're bringing on a man to the podcast to talk about abundance for artists. So that means how to have an abundant mindset rather than a scarcity one if you are an artist. Um, And I certainly understand this fear. I talk about it in today's episode about how when I started acting last year, it's like I immediately felt some sort of lychee scarcity energy cling on to me because there's so many artists that it's it's like domesticated. It's in the DNA of artists to feel like there is a struggle. There needs to be a struggle. There needs to be some scarcity. The starving artist, that's an archetype. That's an archetype for a reason because it's been the way artists have been for so long. So uh, I'm not about that life. I have a feeling you're not either, and who definitely is not about that life is Joe Town. He has an entire business based on helping artists create a mindset of abundance, therefore, creating a life of abundance. And one of the pretty cool things in his toolkit is Feng Shui. He is a Feng Shuiist, and he's really amazing at it. He did my friend's office and i have never seen something so perfect for my friend and who he is it's like the inside of him spilled out into his room and that is the gift for joe town and his wife they do amazing work helping people create as you'll hear him say later a room that is basically a vision board for your life so joe town is an award-winning writer and director who got his degree in acting from the University of South California. He's been a coach for the past 19 years for both businesses and performers, some of who are selling that product you just bought or starring in that movie you Netflixed last night. This work compelled him to write a book about how our inner reality affects our outer experience, which led him to be a guest on The Dr. Oz Show. As an actor, he has worked with people like Jennifer Love Hewitt and Hilary Swank, and you can see him opposite Rebel Wilson in Isn't It Romantic, which premiered in February of 2019 and is now available on iTunes. I saw him in that. It's so funny. I forgot that he was in that. Ah. Joe's also an acting coach. At one of the top studios in Hollywood, where he co-created their audition technique program. He works with professional actors and athletes as they transition from their sport into the entertainment industry, which is so, so cool. He also works with corporations, bringing mindset into practice into the workplace. Last summer, Joe helped coach up to up the top 24 high school quarterbacks in the country of the Elite 11 weekend in Los Angeles impressive. The Actors Mindset program has been in Los Angeles, both independently and at the Aquile School at USC, UCLA, and most recently at the Vancouver Film School. Got a little tongue tied at the end there. But what an impressive bio. This man does so much. His um, business performers mindset really helps people on all the different aspects of uh, being a performer in whatever realm that is, whether it is movement and fitness and uh, athleticism, or it is entertainment and acting and the arts. And uh, mindset is a really hot topic these days. It's not something that I bring on a lot of people to talk about because after six years of having the show, we, we, we've talked about mindset a lot. So it means something that I brought him on to talk about this. It means that he's got something different to share and we recorded this episode a little bit before the coronavirus really started to take over so we do mention it this is really interesting when you start listening to this podcast you will hear us talking about how 2020 has been such a pivotal uh, moment in most of our lives of change and and newness and things dying and new beginnings and we do mention the virus but do note that it had not taken over in the way that it has up until this point. So we don't go super deep into it, though we do mention it. But listen to what we say about how 2020 is this time and a catalyst for, for massive change happening in our world. And so with that said, for the duration of this episode, I encourage you to put all of that to the side and allow yourself to enjoy this conversation, regardless of whether or not you are a performing actor. Because this is for everyone. Every single person is an artist, period. So if you think that you are not, listen to this episode. Go get yourself the artist's way. Start carving out a little bit of time for yourself to either write or to paint That's one of the things about this time of the coronavirus. I've seen a lot of people who had that story of, I'm I'm not an artist, or I don't use that side of my brain, or I couldn't write, or I couldn't draw. A lot of you are discovering you can, because artists need boredom. Like 100%, one of the main ingredients for being an artist of any type is boredom because that's when your brain finally starts to go to those places that it doesn't have the freedom to go to whenever you are so busy and you are hustling and always living by schedule. So since a lot of people are bored now, Their minds have this space and time to go to places it wouldn't go normally. It has had no other option. It's always been busy. Now it's not. And voila, it's like this door just opens to a place that they have not explored. So, I am hoping that this episode actually meets you at the perfect time and you enjoy it. We mention a lot of really interesting links and things to check out. So, do listen in carefully, set aside all the distractions. And the last thing I will say is if you haven't signed up for my newsletter, or you have not signed up to get any of the free gifts that I offer, go to maddymooncom forward slash free gift and you will see there are four free gifts there. One of them is my top favorite 100 books list. So you get all my top favorite 100 books. Another one is feminine and feminine embodiment practices, my top four go-to embodiment practices. One of them is for the men in your life or for you, but it is around how women lose uh, trust in men, the top five ways, which on the flip side means five ways that men can really meet the feminine where she she needs him, where she desires for him to show up, and then my top feminine and masculine episodes. So if you're overwhelmed when you open up my iTunes and you're like, ah, there's so many episodes. Go to this list and you will get all of the top feminine and masculine guests, as well as solo episodes. You can get all of those gifts. you got to type in your email, type in your name, and I promise there will not be a bunch of selling coming your way, but you will receive an auto series that just teaches you more about the alpha and omega energies within us. So if you're interested in getting free things and then also learning about alpha and omega feminine masculine energies, that's the place to go to. Again, that's mattymooncom forward slash free gift. Get your free things. And let's head into this divine episode about abundance for artists with Joe Town. Town. Welcome to the Hello. Mind Body Musics Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having
0: me. Um, thanks for dealing with my wishy-washy nature lately, and for we we stuck to this time. We are here. Mercury is in retrograde, so wasn't sure if we were going to make it here, but we did make it, and we're gonna have a fantastic time.
1: I can't wait. And listen, it's 2020, people are dealing with a lot of stuff, so adjustments need to happen and we were retrograded into this spot from before. So remember, there was, like some, there was like some noise thing happening too. So this is obviously our meant to be time. And I appreciate you uh, making space for us to have a discussion.
0: How have you been feeling about like 2020 overall? When I see these memes on Instagram that are talking about, does everyone feel like we've lived an entire 10 years in 2020 alone? Or I've seen something else that was just saying like, does it feel like everyone's entire lives and everything you know about it are shape-shifting and falling apart? That's certainly how I feel this year. Mm-hmm. Has, has felt like a massive transformative experience. Not much has changed physically speaking, but um, it's like a turning point in my life. And there's a lot behind the scenes that I feel is, is, uh, is morphing and growing in a new direction in my life even if it's not physically being seen, but it it feels like it really started in the beginning of 2020. Have you you experienced that in your life?
1: It's a multi-layered question for me. I mean, I don't think we can separate from what we're observing happening in the world. We started this year on fire. I mean, literally the world was watching as Australia was going through arguably one of the most difficult effects of climate change we've ever seen. And that's just one part of the world. That's not even what was happening in Puerto Rico or what was happening in uh, Asia or Africa, Indian, you know, um, in, in Turkey. So I can't help but feel like we are all internalizing that because we forget and we have amnesia, but we're all connected. We're all part of this. So as within, so without. So there's all of these things that are happening politically and and in the environment and this flu that's uh, been ravaging, not just this coronavirus, but this these flus. I talk to people, whether it be people I haven't seen since high school, and I talk to them on Facebook, or whether it be long lost friends who I've been having um, intimate FaceTime discussions with, because I just miss them and they're in different physical locations. And people have this sort of lingering illness that has uh, attached to them and won't let go. So we've certainly been experiencing that out here in Los Angeles. And um, it feels like if we're being challenged this much, I can understand why people are saying that it, it feels like a, an entire decade has happened already. Because I think maybe we were expecting relief after what felt like a really difficult year last year. So many people were posting mm. about, I cannot wait for this year to be over. I cannot wait to start a new decade. I cannot wait to start fresh. And um, the momentum of what we've all collectively built is here and it's not going anywhere. And it's it's our time to process it all together.
0: Oh boy. Wow. What a way to start this off. I mean, you're so correct. You're so right. And how we started this year, it, it's a direct reflection of what's going on within so many humans because we are of the earth substance, and she is us of us. We mm-hmm. are the same, and we're seeing like we're literally seeing the world that we've built, and the culmination in front of us. And like this year was born out of a lot of pain, so it's no surprise that a lot of us humans are embodying that right now. And it doesn't mean that it's quote bad pain necessarily, mm-hmm. but it is a turning point. It is an excruciating period of growth and incubation and. Um, and change and that's why for a lot of people i'm feeling this word allow keeps coming up allowing the shift allowing the change and also taking action allowing an mm. action because in order for our environment to get better a lot of action needs to change a lot of action needs to start happening um, yeah. amazing so Mm, mm, I'm so excited. I've been, I've been like feeling into your website and your Instagram and all these things this morning, like really just being in, in Joe town world. And uh, I'm so impressed. I was on your IMBD. I saw all these different projects you've done. You've done so much. Like you're an actor, you're a creator, you're a family man, you are embodied, you're a teacher, like you're all these different beautiful things. And it's very inspiring to see like how multifaceted you are. And the thing that really drew me to speaking with you on the podcast is around changing the script and changing the story for artists. That being an artist doesn't mean being in scarcity and being in deprivation and being in the mess all the time. And I had mentioned this, I think, to you, and I know I've talked about this on the podcast before, but there's something about going deeper into my own artist that feels very scary because it's as if there's already this preconceived idea that the minute I go into my artist and artistry of life, I'm also going to have to suffer a bit. And I don't necessarily mean heartbreak suffer because I love that kind of suffer. Like the best poetry I can write comes out of heartbreak, but I mean more like literally can't afford things like, and, and I'm, you know, my business is super successful, so I don't know why, but it's like this idea immediately comes into play that if I start devoting more of my time and attention into my inner artist and my actor, within me rather than the businesswoman all of a sudden everything will crash and burn like i'm going to get bankrupt somehow and i'm going to be fighting people on the streets for the different roles i want to get and it's it's it feels like this is a big pain body in the artist world and that's why books like the artist way are so important because it teaches us how to know that god is on our side the universe wants us to succeed and money is abundant for artists too so I know my focus here is a little bit around money, but you do the whole shebang—teaching artists how to be creatively fulfilled, but also physically strong and fulfilled, and family-wise fulfilled, love. So I just want to want to start there and and give you the floor, talking just whatever's coming up for you right now around this this um, abundance mindset for artists that that you're trying to influence people to begin having?
1: Mm -hmm. First of all, I want to say thank you for that beautiful introduction. And and thank you for seeing what it is that I, as an individual, and that we as a company are are seeking to do. Um, I don't think we can ignore the realities as we tune into our magic. So what I mean by that is, the, the way that our industries are structured are not designed for us to thrive. About 10 years ago, actors found that you could look up stats like less than one quarter of 1% of those people in the union make a livable, workable wage. And I say 10 years ago for perspective because I don't believe it's gotten better. In fact, I believe it has gotten worse and we're creating more content than ever. So it's not that there isn't an abundance of opportunity. It isn't that there isn't an abundance of creation. But when you talk about the reality of how do I pay my bills, there's this idea that we can't ignore the way that it's structured in terms of what, what these opportunities can actually bring in, unless you're a certain number on the call sheet or unless you are a super megastar the idea of this flow of abundance can be really challenging because it's, it's so demanding. Our lifestyle to be an artist is so demanding. Now I think what's great and the nuance in what you said is there's something about suffering that I think is linked to being an artist. And one of my favorite acting teachers, um, a woman named Warner Laughlin who has an amazing studio here in Los Angeles in her book, really articulately speaks about the myth of the tortured artist. And it's something that she spoke about on a regular basis, because the idea that artists feel that they have to torture themselves and have to suffer is deeply ingrained. I don't think it's just limited to artists. I think the idea that we always have to be doing more. We can't stop and take a nap. The Judeo-Christian work ethic, we got to be rising and grinding. That old model is the model that needs to die. The old model of suffering, the old model of um, there is not enough for me, the old model of um, I must suffer and, and I, uh, underneath all of it, the feeling of not enoughness is the part that wants to be addressed and, and um, alchemized if possible. I, can't, I think we can't ignore that when we talk about it. At the same time, nothing abundant comes from burnout. Like If mm-hmm. our lives are orient, oriented and organized around burnout, like I'm running to my six jobs, and I'm going out at night and trying to see as many people as possible, and I'm always saying yes to things, and I'm doing my service, and I'm saying yes to my family, and I'm sacrificing all of my well-being in the process, and I hit burnout. How am I possibly going to – I'm not embodying abundance, so how am I going to attract it? But but really, like I, nothing good comes from that. So I think that's the model that we have to flip. The idea that everything good is over the horizon. The idea of sacrificing everything for later. You know, the 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 old um, generations that said, I will work in this uncomfortable chair for 40 years because mm-hmm. it is what allows my entire family to do well. And then one day I hope to take a cruise.
0: Mm.
1: I think well, those are the- hard, It's the, heartbreaking. Yeah.
0: Even hearing that.
1: And I think that what's amazing about what you are building is this idea of creating avenues of expression that give you a foundation from which to explore your artistry. So I think one of the things that's not taught in college, it certainly wasn't where I went to school or when I went to school, is this idea of um, instead of a support job, looking at my life as building a foundation from which everything else can emerge. Because I think it's when we micro-focus on one part of our life that we use the power of thought and consciousness to develop action and skill and abundance in one corner of the universe. So what I mean by that is like, I would work really hard on my physical well-being. I would work really hard on going to yoga six days a week, or I'd be hiking and exercising with a trainer, or I'd be cooking and preparing my own meals. And that came at a tremendous expense of time and therefore cost. And other parts of my life may not have gotten certain attention. And then maybe I'd say, oh, now I'm feeling really good. I want a relationship. So I'd get into a relationship and I'd be in this thriving relationship. And then I would ignore some part of my business generation or I would ignore some other part of my life. And each thing I felt like um, Charlie Chaplin in the gold rush running from one side of of the building to the other side. And and never finding a state where I felt satisfied and filled. And so I realized uh, uh, about, I guess about 12 years ago, the reason I wrote the book on our inner environment affecting our outer reality, it was all about the idea of we get what we aim at. If we believe in that, then we have to aim at the full picture. And so when you talk about abundance, to me, it is really being specific about the full picture. And I don't mean specific, like it has to come on this date in this amount. He he or she needs to look this way and be this height. That's not what I mean by specificity. But we can't just leave it be general. I want more abundance because I've coached a ton of people for 20 years. And if they said, I want to be more abundant and they found a $20 bill on the street, I don't think that's what they meant, (laughs) even though that is more than they had before. So that's where I wanted to start the conversation
0: so so brilliant you said two things that really stuck out to me you said nothing abundant comes from burnout which is so simple and so profound it's so true like so many of us we start to reach for abundance when we are in the most burnout obviously that makes sense but the burnout just continues in the hustle for abundance And that's what leads to this feedback loop of I'm not doing enough. I need to make more vision boards. I need to go to more full moon circles. I need to go to, I need to write more affirmations. I need to take more baths and then take pictures of it and then post it on Instagram and talk about my intentions that I have for the month. Like, (laughs) even though you're doing all of these, quote, abundance things, at least in the the new age space, it's leading to more burnout because it's more of the doing and yeah. I'm, I wonder if the abundance really comes more from the being. And that leads into the second thing you said of if you're not embodying abundance, how can you attract it? Which like, whoa, that's so true. How can your physical body be that of abundance? Which to me, when I hear that, I think of like really deep breath and groundedness and, and nature. I mean, even no matter where you're living, but you can connect with plants, you can connect with the earth. And, and that is the greatest form of abundance, the vastness of the world. So thinking of like asking you some very practical questions here, like, uh, like, if you're wanting to be, um, if you're wanting to write the next greatest screenplay, or be a uh, a, a full-time actor like that stat you gave of you said like one percent or less than that of... one
1: quarter of one percent of people who are in the union and that's not even people that are seeking to become a union member
0: yeah so in the union and for anyone that's not familiar with that what is that what is the union
1: Yeah, uh, in the united states it's the sag aftra union it's a guild it's not technically a union because they don't help get you work but we are all union workers and union artists, and that is our union.
0: And that's all for actors. That is Be for clear. actors. Yeah. As so, so everyone to knows the
1: Players guild or the directors' guild or something.
0: Awesome. So if you're in that, it's yeah, that percentage is actually making a, a good living. And, and so, of
1: course, I'm so sorry. The, the other nuance is obviously there is a stage union too, right? Yes, so you yeah. are Ac- equity is the union for artists who work in the theater. And so, um, those are brother and sister.
0: Use. Yeah, just in case, because a lot of people who listen to us are not actors. And so that'll mm-hmm. give a little more context. So that's an alarming fact and stat. And that can inhibit a lot of people from even wanting to go into the acting world, knowing that, oh, well, why bother if I'm not going to be uh, making a living with it? Like that's a lot of mm-hmm. time. And and this is, so this is where how the actual practical question of how do we not get into burnout? If we're starting something new and It's an artistic passion that we want to make something of it, maybe do something like this full time, but then also have the full time career circling back to what you talked about earlier of like having a career that's not just a support job, but actually something you're building of your own. Mm -hmm. So then you're building maybe two things. And then you also want to have a relationship and you want to be physically healthy and fit and go work out. What does it practically look like? To, to not go into burnout, doing all these passionate things, to take care of yourself and to do it in a um, embodied abundance way?
1: Well, there's a lot of principles that I think it would be great to introduce to our conversation. Number one, recognize what season you're in. So we don't just have seasons to the year. We have seasons to our lives and they don't necessarily just last for th- three months. So, for example, if I'm in winter, which is really something that a lot of people, it's still winter, so a lot of people try to avoid it. They try to avoid it by going to Florida or Arizona or someplace tropical. They want to get out of winter, but we emotionally avoid winter, too. So many people hop from relationship to relationship without doing the work to figure out, what did I learn and how do I recharge before I move on to the next connection? And so- there's this model that comes from sustainable farming where they used to take uh, the entire crop out of the soil and they would keep some for themselves and they would try to sell the rest so that they had enough money to last throughout the year. But they found that if they took the entire crop every third year or every fourth year, there would be a down year, which means that they wouldn't provi- the, the soil wouldn't grow any food. And so what they found is that they only put 10% of their crop back into the soil, that it became sustainable, and they never had a down year. So this idea of tithing was adopted by the church, the idea of giving 10% of our salary to that which fuels us and inspires us. And it used to be communities like um, where we would gather on a weekly basis, whether it be a temple or a church or an ashram or a yoga class or um, our family dinner, you know, Sunday supper. And so the idea of giving back to our community, um, I feel like is really important. But I wonder if the model is flipped. You know, I wonder if we need to, like they say in the airplane, put the mask on our own face first and then help others. And I think there's so much guilt that comes from self-care because it feels like we're not doing anything. And Mm -hmm. I think what's so great about studying elite performers is They have eradicated that thinking from the way they organize their lives. So, when I'm not working, I can just do nothing, but I don't think that's what they're doing. I think what they're doing is purposeful recovery. Mm. So, there's two things that I think we are missing in terms of how we organize our lives around performance that allow us to be in an optimal state of performance. And the main one, the thing I think we can learn the most from elite athletes, is recovery. So, for example, when I was growing up, football practice, I, was in, I played football in middle school, but I was not a football player and I never played professionally. But there was this concept of two a days that I think a lot of athletes will understand, which is you have two practices that are really intense every day. And the idea is if you do that every day on Saturday or on Sunday or on game day, you will be at your best. That was the old model. And what they learned is that that's not scientifically true. The idea is that we can sustain our maximum effort for about 90 minutes. And then we need to spend the rest of the time in active recovery. It's how elite basketball players go from playing an entire season to going and playing the entire summer, representing our country in the Olympics, and then coming back and performing an entire other season. It's because they spend, from the moment they they get off the court, in ice baths and getting physical therapy and getting treatment and sleeping in certain ways and adjusting the temperature of their sleep and what they take in their body. And that is the only way they can sustain. So this idea of sustainability is one of the first principles that I wanted to make sure we introduced.
0: Mm, That feels really good. And I love that you brought in the the farming uh, and tithing and tithing with ourselves. And it's making me think about you know, embodiment is so important. We talk about this all the time, being truly embodied. And it's a, it's amazing how disembodied we as a culture can become to our own need for rest. I read this little tiny meme on Instagram that said something like, take your rest as serious as your hustle. And it's such a simple concept. But when you actually, I'll talk about myself. When I look at my own life, I have such a incredible ability to override what my body is saying in, in times, because I'm so trained to like, when I was a bodybuilder, I had pneumonia and I went to the gym twice a day. I did two a days with pneumonia. Like I didn't care. I just totally disembodied. And then the past three days, I, I, I did have the flu and I went to the gym one of those days. Cause I didn't realize like I was feeling all these cues, but like still was like, I can go, I can go walk. At least I'll do something because I wanted to feel productive. And it, this is, it was a wake up call for me, like the past couple of days of having this physical and emotional purge. I started, I had so much time where I really slowed down. Once I realized I had the flu, I didn't go back to the gym. I didn't know at the time. But when I'm thinking about this theme of rest and sustainability and seasons also, I also think there's some value to Sitting down from time to time, like even monthly, and feeling into the energetics of that month and what is needed and pre planning, like pre planning that you haven't had a trip, something purposeful, not just a vacation where you go to Mexico and drink drinks, but like I have a desire to connect with creatives. Okay, well, then this month, what really beautiful creative event could you go do in Santa Fe? something really purposeful to get you out of it. And and linking back into the embodiment aspect of what I was just mentioning is when you're starting to feel the very subtle cues of your body of you a need for like you're just sore, you know, right? Like I'm just sore and not just going immediately into, well I'm sore. Well that's good. Let's just keep going. But going mm-hmm. into what what would be purposeful for me around just the simple soreness and knowing that you don't have to be sick or dead, or totally broken, like in your body, to deserve that, Mm -hmm. to deserve a purposeful massage, or a sauna session, or an ice bath. Like you don't have to be an extreme athlete to benefit from rolfing or something that's really good for your. We're talking about the physicality right now, but something really good physically for your body. And of course, there is like the emotional well-being. You don't have to be totally in depression to go to therapy, right? Like we are all um, it would be useful for all of us to have these tools at any point in our lives. We don't have to be in the extremes in order to quote, deserve them.
1: Yeah. I love everything you're saying. I love the idea of these subtle cues. And I think that there are so many people waking up to this idea and, you know, I follow different people, obviously, um, part of, um, you coming into my orbit is one of our mutual friends, but it's so wonderful to get to see what you're putting out to the world. And, you know, um, part of my day is what information do I choose to let in? And so coming across my Instagram places like the nap ministry is just beautiful, just daily reminders of the importance of pause, particularly with that group, you know, um, that was created for um, people of color who, you know, have to, deal with not only the same issues that we're talking about but um the kind of impact of systemic racism and how the idea of generational wealth impacts their sense of abundance and well-being so the idea of us being in this together as we talked about and the idea of our community we have to include everyone it can't just be for um The people that I would say that we surround ourselves with, we used to have these groups that we would be raised in, whether you call them a community or whether it was a tribe or a pocket of people, it was about 120 people that you could connect with. And now through social media, we're connected to thousands. So we're stretched even further and we're loosely connected to people's stories. So to me, it's not only um, important, going back to what you said about the subtle cues, but figuring out what we actually need. So on that day of the gym, you had a thought, which was, I can do this. And then there was a softer cue underneath that was like, what do I actually need in this moment? And so our mindfulness training and getting quiet is so that we can hear those whispers of intuition sooner. I often feel like I learn lessons one of three ways. I learn it in the easy way, the intermediate way, or the hard way. And the easy way is coming to trust that voice that you described and listening and getting quiet enough so I can hear it on a regular basis. And if I make space for it, things go better. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I am not paying attention or I'm getting busy or I'm distracted, um, I usually end up getting a reminder. It's like a tap on my shoulder, like that. And it's like, Joe, slow down. And if I don't pay attention at that point for a variety of obligations or reasons or general busyness, then I find myself being held over a cliff by my ankle (laughs) and the universe is saying, do I have your attention now? So it's so important to pay attention to those subtle cues. And yeah, I'm I'm so glad that we're having this conversation.
0: Hmm. So you just talked about the sustainability and another thing that you teach a lot in your work is feng shui, which feels like, I mean, when I hear feng shui, I think about hmm, having the right crystal in the right corner and having the, making sure my windows are showing the sun rising in a particular way and setting in another way. Can you share a little bit about how feng shui, especially through the lens of artistry and which and, and which? When we're talking about artists, we're really talking about every single human being on the planet, just to make sure everyone feels included, know that you are who we are talking about as well. You are a creation yourself, therefore you are a creator. So through the lens of that, how is feng shui and your environment that you're living in and and everything else we're talking about, how does that tie into this abundance mindset for artists?
1: I did spend almost two decades in the space of feng shui, Um, I grew up with someone who never mentioned the words feng shui but always created a beautiful home. My mother really understood that our environment had an impact on us. So the beauty of the art on the walls, the beauty of the light coming in the afternoon through the plants, hitting the library of books and making its way across the room or the importance of placing a candle to sort of brighten up a dark corner it's the beauty and the purpose of our environment that really is feng shui and feng shui wise your environment reflects you whether it's seen or whether it's in a drawer everything creates this constellation of energy that is impacting what is showing up so if you just want to think about feng shui really in a simple term um, there's a phrase that's not very often used in feng shui circles but To me, it's the most important principle. That which is closest to you has the most impact on you. So we think about our environment, we think about our neighborhood, and we think about uh, where we live. And then we can look a little bit closer. We look at uh, the entranceway to our home. And then we look at the path to our door and what's first greeting us when we get home. It's the first thing we see. And then we think about the layer of walls, the art and the paint and the things that are furthest from us in the room. And then we get into the furniture that we're sitting on. And then we get into the clothes that we're wearing and the jewelry and the tattoos. And then we start to move inside into our thoughts, the food we take in, the saliva that we swat, the fluids that we exchange, like what is going on inside and outside us? And that makeup of our entire environment, us, connected to our community and the world around us, is feng shui. So we cannot separate ourselves, but we can prioritize whatever is closest to us, because that is what has the most impact on us. The other thing is, like, our entire home is marketing to us on a daily basis. You might have numbed out to it, but it doesn't mean it's not sending a message. So if you think about your entire home as a vision board, what are you seeing? Are you running around saying, I want to be coupled? And then you look at this sensual woman on the wall or this stamp collection of the Queen of England, and you have 40 images of single people in your space and one candle, and your environment is not matching what you're saying that you want. So our environment is advertising to us, and our home is a vision board. There are plenty of books that will tell people tips on how to feng shui their environment. You can boil it down to step one fix your shit get rid of your shit and cure your drains. Like you just need to deal with your past. You need to get, go through that pile of papers. You need to get the stuff out from under your bed. You need to make space for things like that's stage one of a feng shui makeover. And then you need to organize things. You need to reorganize them around, not where you've been, but where you're going. So, okay, great. Your room used to be uh, an office and now you have a baby coming home. So I reorganize what the room's purpose is because intention follows purpose, energy follows thought, the room's purpose is what design should follow. It's no good having a beautiful room that nobody goes in. So we need to organize around where we're going instead of where we've been. What is the purpose of the space? And then lastly, we need to beautify. We need to add in things that feel like they make us feel like an optimal version of ourselves. So think about Oprah and the colors of her network right? Purples and golds and reds and oranges, like those are abundance colors from the harvest in the fall. So whether you put up plants or get a purple amethyst crystal, whether you hang chimes or get a fountain, these are all things that are energetic feng shui cures. But none of them matter if you don't intend for them to do something specific, going back to our very first part of our conversation, specificity matters. And then to bless it. And the simplest way to bless anything, as Meister Eichart told us, is simply to say thank you. So you can say thank you nine times when you place that candle on your desk or that plant in the window, or when you get some sexy red sheets for your bed, whatever the thing is that is abundant for you. So that's the sort of crash course on feng shui.
0: Oh my God, that was so good. That was so good. Like I just had so many aha moments and thinking about feng shui in a completely new way. And it's so funny that you said the sensual woman on the wall and the single candle because I literally have this tapestry right here of this beautiful bodacious woman and my one candle over there, but I'm not looking for partnership. So it kind of works.
1: And that's the other thing is that you, you read in a book what you are told you are supposed to have if you want love. And the thing is, is that after a relationship, people go into cloistered nun position because that's their winter. Mm. People go into different stages of exploration. So obviously, there's a million different ways relationships exist in the world. There's spectrums uh, and fluidity around sexuality and gender. So our spaces, all I'm saying is that don't follow a book if it doesn't feel right in your gut. Just make sure it reflects who you are now, not where you've been and what you think it should be. Because what happens is there's this feedback between your space gets set up and it feels really good for a while and then you change. And then your space feels like a skin that needs to shed. And it's when we ignore those cues that things start to build up because now we're not in alignment or harmony. We're in tension with our space and we're numbing out. And that's Mm. where problems arise.
0: And I feel sometimes that we're, we're, we're taught that we're... That most people are constantly wanting the same things. Like going back to the relationship thing, this is one of the first times in my life that I'm I'm truly not looking for one. And so, the tapestry that I have, and and I have like this jewelry necklace holder that's boobs, and I just have all these women things. And I'm going through this time in my life where I'm just really um, worshiping the feminine. I'm just worshiping the feminine everywhere I see her, and. I don't really feel like I pick up mo- most books that are having the assumption that women are going through the time of worshiping the feminine. Most of the time when you're picking up books, any books, it's making they make the assumption that everyone's looking for love externally, everyone's looking for the next relationship for their partnership. So I'm I'm grateful that I haven't read Um, these books on how to set up my space, because then I might be falling into a pattern of looking for the same thing that I'm not really looking for. If that, I hope I'm saying that the way that I mean it, because otherwise I I wouldn't have any of that incubation time to really ask myself, what do I want? What stage am I in? Because some people aren't looking to set up their stage or their home for spirituality or for partnership, but something totally different. So I'm curious, on what in your perspective, what does white mean, or what does white call into a space? If you have a lot of white uh, and and translucent, just very like openness, lacking color.
1: Well, I mean, to me, artistically, it means it's a blank canvas. But in terms of element theory, that symbolizes the element metal. So there's a certain organization to it. But um, from a vibe perspective in feng shui, it's about creativity. It's about the future. It's about where am I going? It's about being inspired, inspiré, breathing in life and figuring out where I'm headed. Some people relate it to purity. Some people relate it to children. It doesn't mean tomorrow you're going to have a child, but it means being wondrous and having eyes like the mind of a child. So those are all the different qualities that white can represent in a space.
0: Fuck yeah. I love that. Cause my space is so white. And today I was like, Hmm, I wonder what this means. I have to ask him about it just because I'm Mm -hmm. constantly like filling my, my space up with white. So um, what is one of the pitfalls that you find the feng shui world is selling? Cause I remember us talking about this on our, our call together earlier before we did this podcast about like, sometimes they're actually looking at your weaknesses, right? when they're selling your feng shui. Do you remember this?
1: Yeah, every industry does this. It's, it's one of the ways that they um, create, you know, if they make you feel not at home in your body, then they can sell you pills or a diet or different clothes. So in feng shui, it's no different. They, there are a lot of um, people trying to sell you on fear and they have the cure. They have the answer. Hmm. So when you read a book and you become afraid, then you must buy their product or you must hire that person And very early on, I decided that was not a business model for me. I didn't want people to become afraid of their space, especially not superstition. Mm -hmm. So there's a difference between energetic principles and superstition. And every culture on earth has their own version of feng shui. Every culture on earth has their own version of superstition. And so we get to decide what it is that is an energy principle. Um, The idea of balance and yin yang, that is an energy principle. The idea of mirrors and whether they're good or bad, the idea of is this good or bad, the idea of um, numbers meaning death or numbers meaning abundance, you know, those come to us through different cultures. And so if we're part of that culture, or if we believe that thought, then it's going to have an impact on us because our inner environment is closest to us. So I'm just not in the business of wanting to sell people on being afraid of the way they're living their lives so I can profit.
0: Beautiful. Is there anything else that you feel like sharing around this theme? of?
1: I have a few few things that I really want to make sure that um, we get across in this. The first one is how we organize our lives over time, not just today. I really think it's important. Um, One of the reasons why we started our company was this idea of um, growth mindset is populating a lot of culture. You'll read about it everywhere from Harvard Business Review, to um, journals at Stanford, and now it's populating schools, high schools, and uh, even elementary schools. It's not something that was around when I was a kid growing up. The idea of growth mindset is that when we have an opportunity, whether that opportunity is a date or whether the opportunity is the job of our lifetime, that it can, there can be pressure that, that comes from those moments because we care. And I would say taking a step back from booking the job or getting that person to like me, organizing our life around improvement over time um, matters. So this idea of growth mindset is, is using every part of my life to improve and grow over a long period of time, one percent better over time, and not just generally, but looking to people who embody that, you know, whether it be a mega-acting star who becomes a brilliant director. Or an amazing young basketball player that becomes one of the best the game has ever seen. It's because they didn't stop growing and learning. So when we're good at something and we're young, our identity can get attached to that thing. We can become, I am an athlete. I am an artist. And then there can be all this pressure when those big moments show up and invite us into them. But if our goal is about learning, that it can take all the pressure away. Because even though I would love for you to get the job you're going in on Tuesday, I'd rather you not get it and learn something that'll set you up for 15 years of success than to just say, you're going to get this one. And then you're going to get the next one. You're going to get the next one and have that hope and attachment to every single opportunity that happens. So I would say that improvement is a way of organizing our life and the way that we're looking at it. And I would say that the second thing is if we want to be and have an experience abundance, then we need to figure out one simple thing add value. Add value in every exchange. Leave it better than you found it. So if you're stapling papers, staple them better than it's ever been done before. If you're making the bed, leave it a little better than you found it. If you find trash in the ground, pick it up. If you're doing a job, an act of service for a company or for yourself, the quality of what you do will get you 10 to 20 more leads. The quality of not just what can I get, but how can I serve? So be about it and, and add value. And then lastly, I would say that the quality of energy we were talking about earlier, the mask on our face and the idea of being embodying ab- abundance as an antidote for lack. So I would say joy is a vehicle. When I was thinking about you in our conversation this morning, and I said, if there was one thing that I wanted to share with the listeners in this conversation, it's the invitation to have joy be the vehicle that you travel your life through not the result you're seeking. So what is it that you're bringing to each exchange? What if you could organize your life and have transition time from whatever you're doing to the moments that you're trying to show up and serve? And can you fill up in the way that you sleep, in the way that you exercise, in the way that you move your body and dance, in the way that you put on clothes, in the way you take off clothes? Can you fill up with a certain kind of energy and seek from there? And to me, play and joy, it really is a game changer. Not just generally speaking, not just the idea of I have to be joyful, but I have to connect to that spark of joy of what's lighting me on fire. And if I can fill up with that, then everything that stems from that will be beautiful. Um, When I was first dating my wife, she wasn't my wife yet, obviously. And I decided to try to do things differently than I had done before because I always had trouble with the frequency of communication early in a relationship. I didn't know some things felt like they were too structured or it felt like a game. Um, and I was looking at our relationship like a dance and I hadn't really thought of a relationship like a dance before, but, um, the idea of if she reached out to me that I immediately reached back felt out of rhythm from a dance. The idea of, um, feeling the pace that we were going to. And so I, I had this problem because inside all I wanted to do was text or write or say, I'm really excited about where this is going. And that can be so overwhelming at the beginning of a relationship. So I decided to channel that energy inwards. And the simple tool and the way that I did that is I created a playlist. I created a playlist that filled me with so much joy and happiness that I put in my back then earphones, not ear pods or buds. And I um I danced around Whole Foods Market and wouldn't you know it at the end of my doing that, I got a message from her. But so I pinged the universe, but I wasn't specifically pinging her. I was just feeling really good. And at the time I was suffering from some chronic back pain that I'd had for a couple of years. And so finding those pockets to just feel good in between managing this rehabilitation of my body felt so important. And, um, if we have time, I'd love to talk about uh, flow state and and um, things like um, working in flow state and things like this Wim Hof technique are really helping people overcome chronic and physical pain. Um, I just yeah. think they're fascinating.
0: Go for it. Yeah.
1: Okay. So uh, I'll Plenty start with the. Okay, great. Have you ever uh, been so immersed in an experience that you were lit up about that you lost track of time and space?
0: Yes, recently. Awesome. So
1: there is a state that we can perform in, and it's the most optimal state a human can perform in, and it's called flow state. So for athletes, it would be being in the zone. So for a baseball player, it's when things slow down so much that they can see the baseball coming at them and they know how to respond because they're in that flow. Uh, Runners hit a high, a runner's high. Ecstatic dancers, like Sufi dancers, get into a trance like state. So whether you call it flow or you call it the Holy Spirit flowing through you, this idea of flow is the optimal state of performance for humans. And it's, there's, there's amazing science to it that I will not be able to be exact on, but um, we can look it up. But my understanding is that it's five times more powerful than orgasm, uh, more addicting because more neurochemicals are coming into play. And it doesn't mean that there's less value in orgasm or other forms of release, but I'm just saying from a purely um, mechanical and sort of neuroscience and neurochemical standpoint, flow is this really intense state and it can't be forced. We can't force ourselves to have flow, but we can put ourselves in the environment where it might happen. What it requires is tremendous courage because we have to identify where our edge of growth and our edge of our comfort zone is, and that's where we need to be working. We also need to be able to regulate our anxiety and our nerves and our head noise and have tools like breath work that allow us to stay in this edge of our capability while also backing off and not feeling like we slip into being overwhelmed. And flow has stages to it too. You know, there's this struggle phase and then it moves into a sort of relaxed phase and then we either flow or we don't. And then there's a recovery stage. And so our entire business is organized around helping people identify how these four stages of flow mirror and mimic the four stages of performance. And so I really wanted people, if they have not heard anything on the science of flow, it's fascinating. Stephen Kotler is a guy who created the Flow Genome Project in Florida. And he's an interesting guy. When you hear his story, he was lying on a couch, unable to move. And it was really through a friend saying, get up off the couch and come surfing with me. He got into a state of flow without knowing what it was. And it healed him of this chronic debilitating illness he had been in for years. And so he dedicated his life to serving what is the science of flow. There was a Hungarian um, psychologist, Mihal Csikszentmihalyi, who wrote the book on flow. So you can see his TED Talk and you can Um, read his book on flow. But uh, this new science that's happening is trying to pick up on his research and and continue it. And you can take a little quiz and sort of identify how flow, like what kind of, um, how it relates to your own life. But flow state is something that um, I think people naturally have experienced but may not have awareness around. And it Mm. takes tremendous dedication to organize our life so that flow happens.
0: Mm. Oh yeah, prioritizing the flow. What is it for you that brings you into the flow state?
1: Um, It's a combination of everything that I said today. So it's um, identifying that I want to improve over time, that I have grit, resiliency, and optimism about getting better. So I'm no longer interested in just repeating my greatest hits. I am seeking to get better, which means I am seeking to be at the edge of my growth and outside my comfort zone. So if I'm going to do that, then I need to train a certain way. And then I need to recover a certain way.
0: Okay, so, so what my, you're saying, flow state is more of like the the big picture, then, rather than like being in a particular activity that you just get lost in.
1: Well, the activity would be my audition. The activity ah, would be okay. um, love. The, That's uh, what the, I was curious the, about. Would be parenting for the next hour and a half,
0: mm-hmm. right? Yeah.
1: And so there's a stage that builds up to that peak,
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: there's a recovery from being on, being in, being so present.
0: Yeah, this is interesting. Like, I I feel like I, I relate with the auditioning. I'm starting to realize that's one of the reasons why acting is just totally taking over my life because of how the flow state does feel like an addiction. It feels so good. I want more. And I also notice that sometimes after auditions, I immediately go into somewhat of, like I'm in the flow and then there might be this period of closure it's like, oh, that feels too good. I've got to limit that. I've got to have, there's an upper limit to that feeling too good. I've got to like criticize myself. It's like this, my, my, the creativity is the inner child. So going into that creative flow state, I've noticed this pattern of almost like having my hand slapped by the teacher, internally saying, no, 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 you, you don't be too proud of yourself. Don't be too excited. Closure, criticism. And I have so much, I've trained my awareness so well that I'm watching all this happen rather than in it. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. Look at that. And, and so this conversation is so crucial because if we're not aware of that, because I do think that's a fairly common experience of getting really excited after the flow state and then going into self-doubt Um, then it can lead you into not being in your flow state anymore because that self-doubt period is you're, you're too in it. and You don't want to be in that. That doesn't feel good. So just sort of the baby out with the bathwater and we don't want that to happen. We don't want people doing that. Your flow state is beautiful and crucial. And so this, the aftermath, the aftercare of your flow state is just as important as the flow state, what you're saying here of the recovery. So after you're in your flow state, what can you do afterwards? that's nurturing it could just be the awareness is nurturing enough to know oh that was my inner mean girl teacher or it might be like a warm like cup of tea in a sweater and like actually just nurturing yourself like you would your inner child or your actual literal child um yeah this is really beautiful conversation very important
1: well i love that you mentioned upper limits problem. Uh, That's a great conversation to have because that's an edge, right? That's an example of an edge of growth. I love that you're so conscious and aware and that you say, I have awareness over what's happening even if I don't know necessarily what to do about it at the moment. Having awareness of the critical voice coming in because awareness is what will lead you to change. Awareness is key. Totally. Talk about three re's after our performance. And first, I just want to say, and I really want to find this article because it was mentioned to me recently that there was a New York Times article that said that performing, maybe it's like performing something like a Broadway show, uh, takes a toll on your physical and emotional body that is the equivalent of being in a minor car accident. And so if you think about performance taking a toll on us, then the idea of just shutting off and going back to our lives feels like an impossibility and we're, we're kidding ourselves if we think we can just pick ourselves up and move on. So there are three things like that hour after your performance, that hour after you put it all out there is fertile ground and either you'll do something to it or it'll do something to you. So we think of it as having three stages to it. The first is recover, go drink some water, go to the bathroom, get quiet, um give yourself a warm cup of tea give yourself a hug you know eat a, a, a nurturing meal sometimes when i'm nervous before a performance i can't eat so i find myself starving afterwards so mm-hmm. put some nourishing food in there and get some sunshine in your face or breathe in some fresh air connect to nature like recover the second thing is reward right we want our we want our brains to be connected to the idea of rewarding effort That's the thing that this last generation didn't do well. So we ended up doing participation trophies, and we ended up rewarding people and praising them for their identity instead of their actions. So the whole idea is applaud the effort instead of the outcome. Continue to get really excited and lit up about your effort, how hard you worked, um, how much you put into it, how courageous you were, things like that. So um, we want to reward ourselves after we've done something. And maybe we don't have to go buy Louboutins or, you know, we can do it proportional to what the thing is. Maybe once you've booked a huge role and that first check has come in, by all means, like get your vision board ready, get your Louboutins. But like, maybe for me, it's a dirty child. You know what I mean? Like maybe it's an eggplant parm from my favorite Italian deli overlooking the ocean. One of those things might feel Mm. really good to reward myself. So we want to spend time recovering. We want to spend time rewarding. And we want to spend time reflecting because we want to make sure that we give voice to the critical brain, but we want to train the critical brain. It's like taming the tiger. So acknowledging that there will be time for the critical brain to come out and play is enough to sort of let it simmer in the background. And then giving it the floor at a certain point but focusing it on improvement, which we talked about earlier, not just you sounded terrible. Well, maybe that didn't go as well as you thought. Like that's not helpful. That's not constructive criticism. So we believe in both support and challenge in everything we do. We believe in acknowledging something you did well, that you had control over, not something that happened to you. And then coming up with one thing you would improve, one thing you would Mm -hmm. do differently, but having a lightness to it. So it's not a things, piling on and being rocks in your backpack. So those are the three stages of recover, reward, reflect that we, we tend to say is part of the golden hour of time right after we're done with a big performance.
0: Oh my God, that's so good, the golden hour of time. And, I, and my favorite way of any kind of feedback is what I loved and what I would have wanted more of. And it's, it's, yeah, it's not about what was bad and sucked. It needs to change. Um, Yeah. What I would have wanted more of.
1: Yeah. Let's say, uh, what did I love is a beautiful, we're so in sync and I love that we have the same language. What do I want more of? That sparks so much play and creativity and all that. What did I learn? Because if I add in, what did I learn, especially when the wheels Mm. fall off the bus or it's a shit show then it doesn't have to be stored in our body. We can truly take the lesson and move on. Mm -hmm. So don't try to do that the moment it's done, before you've recovered and before you've rewarded. But maybe the next day, maybe later that night when you're journaling, maybe in the bath a couple of days later, when you feel like you're full enough to be able to handle going back to work. Because if you do care about getting better over time, then learning goals Mm. matter.
0: Yeah. And it takes a beginner's mindset too. There's, there's always so much to prove, especially right now. I find with Instagram of everyone wanting to be the best, be seen as the best, know everything, know everything by now, be 20 years old and be seen as uh, a guru or whatever it is that you're trying to have this appearance of. Being able to slow down and reflect and say like, what did I learn? What what can I learn? How can I turn this experience that might've felt not like your best performance ever into a, 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 a growth experience? It requires humility.
1: Because you know? wouldn't you want to know why? Like, wouldn't you want to know why it didn't go well? And not just yeah. because you were rude or because I didn't, I got, I missed the subway. Like, mm-hmm. how, what does that allow you to do about it next time that can yeah. set yourself up for success?
0: And knowing that just because Just because there's a place to learn and grow doesn't mean that something about you is wrong. It's separating your action, what you did from your identity, just as worthy, just as wise, just as beautiful, and also having something to learn. Yeah. Mm, So good. So where can people connect with you online?
1: Well, my favorite place would be either on Instagram, where I spend the most time. But they can certainly fi- they can find us there uh, at The Performer's Mindset, or you can find me at, Joe- at me, Joe Town. I'm at me, Joe Town on Twitter and at me, Joe Town on Instagram. But um, The Performer's Mindset is, is um, where I'm spending a lot of time offering tools and, and um, mm. examples of other leaders who are embodying what we're talking about today. Perfect. And our website, Performer's Mindset, too.
0: I will have those links on the show notes to this episode. Are you down for a quick divine deep dive round session? Go. What is your favorite way to move your body? Oh,
1: uh, undulating circles like dolphins playing.
0: Yeah, I like the sound of that. Mm, What is a non-productive form of expression and creativity that you love?
1: Non-productive meaning I'm not going to produce something from it, but it's just for for fun. Oh, surf. Uh, I'm not great at it. And uh, I, I'm I'm really excited to learn. And I'm really excited to have a relationship and develop a relationship with balance and the ocean and my body and its place in there.
0: What are you letting go of right now? And what are you welcoming in?
1: Um, I'm really curating my circle. So I'm letting go of... Um, and making space uh, of, of things that feel outdated or outmoded or um, maybe served a beautiful purpose in time. You know, it's like, I might've had the best meal of my life, but if I spend time on the toilet for three days holding it in because it was the best meal of my life, then um, I'm not going to make space for the other beautiful meals that life has to offer. So I'm really being particular about who I'm choosing to spend the most precious thing we all have time with and um where am I moving where am I going to my word of the year is better and so I'm really seeking better approaches to the things that matter the most the better way we do relationships the better Mm. relationship we have to well-being and health um, better ways of um, doing our craft better ways of being friends or lovers Yeah. That's what I'm it. seeking. Better.
0: What animal best represents your sex life?
1: I mean, I was raised by an astrologer, so it's really hard for me to not go to Taurus. You know, it's like, mm. it's really hard for me to identify with anything other than, than that as my sun son, sign, the bull.
0: What, what is one must read book? Just one. You can give more.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> My favorite book of all time is The Alchemist. So, if you haven't read The Alchemist, it's just so, it's got so much deep wisdom. It's why I keep coming back to it and it's why it's my favorite thing to give out. But I think, in terms of what we've been speaking about, um, yeah, I would say that my current favorite book for it to offer is called Peak Performance. And you can link to it in the show notes, but um, it really embodies a lot of the things that we've been talking about. I mean, I'm learning right now from a chess master, Josh Waitzkin, the art of learning. That's what's on my shelf. So that's something that I'm lit up by. Um, I'm looking right over at Mamba Mentality because I've been honoring Kobe for the last month. Mm. And I talk about him so much in my daily life and in our classes. And so i um, refreshing the Mamba Mentality. There's just so many. I, I, I think it depends on if I'm offering it to others, I like to micro-target <laughs> it to what they're seeking. You know?
0: Those are all so good. Perfect recommendations. Um, uh, last question. What is the best investment under 10000 that you've made in the last year?
1: Um, I hired uh, an amazing executive coach, um, a former uh, creative executive from Nike, who was the wow. perfect blend. Of creative and business mm. that allowed me to he, his way of processing my journey up until now and his insight, it's like investing into that kind of um, perspective, conversation, community has been a game changer and and I felt it as the impulse of I really think I need a mentor. It was mm. as simple as that, and then it was just clear as day that this gentleman was going to be that person. So that was the best investment I made. Uh.
0: I, I even I can I can feel that I can feel that growth that's behind hiring someone that inspires you, that simple act of like bringing someone into your life that's got that kind of combination of the creativity and then the business mindset. It's very rare to find When you find it, it's good. It's good to have that yeah. in your life. That's yeah, his name is Ken
1: Black, and uh, I'll sing his praises from any rooftop that will let me onto it.
0: Oh cool. Cool. I'll look into him. Well, Joe, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. This has been mind-blowingly beautiful. This conversation and so so needed for every artist, every human, every mom, every dad, every brother, every sister, every every person out there. This is going to be beneficial. And and I feel like uh, like one of the things that I'm just going to really feel into is the your home is your vision board. Like that something about that really really resonates with me right now. And is inspiring me to get a little bit more intentional with what is around in my my space. So thank you so much. I can't wait for everyone to follow along your work and journey on Instagram and the interwebs. I appreciate you.
1: I appreciate you so much. Thank you for this dance of a conversation. Uh, I'm excited by where we went with it, and thank you for your time.
0: Everyone, make sure you go to the show notes for this. MattyMoon.com forward slash joe-town with an e and you will see all of the links that we mentioned today as always everything is always on my website and please hit subscribe to the mind body musings podcast if you have not yet and send this episode to your artist friends anyone that's out there creating writing in plays doing anything dramatic in their life go send this to them and help them create more abundance in their artistry I look forward to hearing your thoughts on this episode and stay tuned for another one coming next Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify.